Welcome to Marrow Masters Season 5, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, CGEN, Omeros Corporation, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and their families cope with the psychosocial challenges of transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Here's your host, Executive Director of the NBMT Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. This series focuses on survivorship. Whether you're five minutes into your survivorship or 25 years plus, we have perspectives that will speak to you, inspire you, and help you at every turn. When patients enter survivorship, it is truly a gift, as we all know, but it can be overwhelming at times and emotionally draining. This season, season five, will focus on helping survivors and caregivers better understand the despair, mental challenges, some work-career issues, GVHD, and the role it plays in survivorship, giving back, not giving up, finding your herd, and so much more. So grab a few minutes, grab some coffee, settle in, and get ready to be enlightened and educated as you make a few new friends who will share their grit, intense honesty, and determination to not only get through this, but to thrive and live their best life. I'm very excited today. We welcome Stephanie Scaletti of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Stephanie was diagnosed with leukemia just shy of her 20th birthday in 2005. Stephanie will tell us more about the importance of having a herd to support you during your journey. This young lady even found time to start a nonprofit to help other youngsters. Welcome, Stephanie. It is so wonderful to have you with us today. It is important to remember that the journey is slightly different for the younger set, and Stephanie's going to tell us all about that today. Thank you, Peggy. What a wonderful opportunity to be here, to be able to share my story with all of you. As you had mentioned, yes, I was diagnosed with ALL leukemia in 2005. This was just two weeks before my 20th birthday and just before my junior year of college began. As you can imagine, Peggy, in 2005, life as a young adult cancer survivor was much different. Life period was just different 15 years ago. Facebook was just launching. There wasn't an Instagram, a Twitter. There weren't any virtual programs, that's for sure. And as I was experiencing cancer, I was by far the youngest in the hospital and also in the outpatient cancer center treatment facility. And I struggled just to find other young adult survivors to connect with. Now, if you ask me if I were to look for a support group back then, I can't tell you that I would have joined one. All I wanted to do was see someone that looked like me because the experiences that I had, the challenges that I faced, losing my hair twice and putting college on hold uh, and just trying to figure out what life was like now for me was very challenging. And nobody, even my family, my friends, nobody could relate. And so at the time when I was diagnosed, I was going to college to be a pharmacist simply because I got good grades in math and science, if I'm honest. But after having leukemia and pretty much sharing my story as an open book from day one of diagnosis, I knew that I had developed this new purpose and especially a new passion. And so I ended up changing my major to social work. I earned my bachelor's and master's degree at the University of Pittsburgh main campus. I graduated with my master's degree in 2010. And ironically, a month later, I started working full time for a local cancer charity here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the opportunity that I had came to me in 2012. Um, when I developed a young adult cancer support group, and that was the kickstart of the rest of my life, pretty much, is what I'll get to. 
uh, because I started leading young adult cancer support groups within two years of hearing their needs and starting to build a community that really felt like we were onto something. In 2014, I expanded the program knowing that young adults, while it is essential for them to talk about the cancer and all the challenges that it brings to our population who we say are 18 to 39 when diagnosed, there's so much more that they need. And what they needed were socials, um, opportunities to get out of the house, have some fun, build friendships with their peers who can relate, and also a great need for financial assistance. As people can imagine, when you're a young adult in your 20s and 30s, generally speaking, when cancer affects you, you are either in college, um, just transitioning to early adulthood, you're trying to gain some independence, you're just starting to invest, you are building families. Um, I have had people who have been pregnant when they're diagnosed or planning their weddings, and it just is the biggest disruption that they don't ever see coming their way. And so the baseline model that I had developed in 2014 was meeting their emotional, social, and financial needs. And we'll go get into a little bit later on on how that grew beyond my intentions. <laughs> so fast forward to 2019, I had been growing this community, and we've been doing a phenomenal job of doing it. I was running an annual event to fund the financial assistance and socials that we provided. Um, in 2019, I was honored as a 40 under 40 honoree in Pittsburgh for positively impacting this young adult cancer population. So we were starting to get recognition and really starting to be known as the young adult cancer support community in Western Pennsylvania. So by the end of 2019, I looked at my husband and I said, I think I've grown this to a point where I need to do some major changes. Something bigger is, is ahead of us. Wow, Stephanie, that is quite the story. Uh, one thing I remember hearing, too, about young adults having cancer is that a lot of times they're depending on their friends to be their caregivers because they're out of the house. You know, mom and dad are there, but they're trying to, you know, break free of being under the roof of their parents. And I always thought that was so interesting when you think of the friends you make in college or just right out of high school and that they could possibly be someone that is taking care of you. But it's so incredible to me this generation, and I hear that they step right up and they are incredible caregivers as well. Do you hear that? I hear both sides of it. And what I mean by that is when these young adults are diagnosed, people step up that they don't expect to step up normally. Some of them are their dear friends and they become family because a lot of times the dynamics in the family change. And the cancer survivor, especially these young adults, they feel like they're just holding such a huge burden. They don't want to emotionally impact their parents or be a burden on their siblings because, of course, everyone has their own lives. And while the families want to provide all the love and support, like you said, these young adults, they're just so independent and they want to be that way and they want to remain that way, even with a cancer diagnosis, they're likely to turn to people like their friends. But oftentimes, the friends either step up in ways that they are just so incredibly grateful for or... They don't know what to say, how to react, how to support. And so they kind of shy off, if that makes sense. And for lack of better terms, they kind of just ghost the survivor, not intentionally, but just because they don't know how to support because it's probably likely that they've never had a friend who has had cancer. So they just don't know what to do and therefore they do nothing. The text messages start slowing down. They don't hang out as much because obviously that cancer survivor can't maintain their normal 
social life as they normally would. And so we find that it's super challenging more than ever to find a network of support. Now, don't get me wrong, that's not for everyone. But what I have seen is when they join their own herd, their cancer community, that becomes their new support system. That becomes their new family, if you will. Well, that totally makes sense. And I'm glad we're touching on this because it's important that people understand. And and if they're listening to this, that they realize it's not just them. It's hard. People don't know what to say sometimes. But boy, when they get their new herd and let's talk about, okay, so after 2019, you made a big decision. You started a nonprofit. Let's talk about that. This is so exciting. I did. And like I said, I, I had a very serious conversation with my husband and I was running a program through another organization and it's unheard of and un- unlikely that someone's going to do what I did. But I truly, Peggy, followed my heart and followed my passion. And I always listened to the needs. I think anyone out there that wants to give back or wants to start a nonprofit, you have to be an active listener and you have to listen to the needs of the community that you are trying to support. So I really found that it was my turn um, in this life to do something bigger than what I had already done. I had reached the capacity of how I was able to support them at the same time, knowing that there was so much more that we should and could be doing for the population. So believe it or not, March 1st, 2020, we just celebrate our one year anniversary on Monday. (laughs) Oh, congratulations. Thank you. March 1st, 2020, I went public and I launched Young Adult Survivors United after coming to terms that this was the right move. And two weeks later, the world just shut down. And so we pivoted like everyone else and we quickly became a virtual health and wellness community. And people think I'm crazy when I say this, but I am so grateful for the pandemic because it provided us more silver linings than I ever anticipated. And by that, I mean, we never had virtual programming before this organization, before the pandemic, especially. And so we have been able to provide the needs and support those who would not be able to join us if everything had maintained the same and was only being offered in person. That is so interesting. And we at The Link, I can relate to that because we do a lot of virtual programs, you know, our podcasts, our Lunch and Learns our webinars. So I do know what you mean. And everyone is home. Everyone has access to the internet, usually, I should say, uh, hopefully. And this is where you were able to provide a service. I can totally see that it was not what you planned, but boy, it sure worked out. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, Peggy, it's all about finding your herd, whether you have cancer and you need a community, whether you have had severe anxiety and depression, there's a community for that. Whether you are caring for someone with Alzheimer's, There's communities all over. And I think at the end of the day, the take home message is you just have to find what works for you. You know, I created Young Adults Survivors United because nothing serving this population existed in Western Pennsylvania and the tri state area, even nationally, for the model that I built, this comprehensive care model. I didn't see it being offered anywhere else. And I tell everyone this when you don't find that, and you build or join something that it really resonates with you, take that opportunity and run with it. And we, nothing more, love than to collaborate with other organizations. But I really did all the legwork trying to find another model that I had built that mirrored what I was doing. And for those reasons alone, which is why I started this organization, uh, my experience as a young adult survivor and an oncology professional having my master's in social work really helped grow our community and be able to relate to what it's like 
for those who are newly diagnosed, all of them have experienced a level of trauma and just not realizing how long that lasts because they're not warned when they're diagnosed or even after they ring that bell and they're off figuring out what life looks like. So through the organization, we always discuss the helpful tools to get you through a diagnosis and beyond and what to expect and normalizing thoughts and feelings when survivors feel so isolated, so anxious, and have ongoing depression. This is so helpful. Tell me, do a lot of your, let's say, your, your herd, the people that are coming to you for support, do they end up becoming mentors or do they end up getting on board to be a buddy to future patients and survivors? Absolutely. I can speak for the young adult cancer population and even reflecting on my own journey. What happens oftentimes is when people do survive cancer and they either are on some kind of medication or treatment forever because they're metastatic to some of them having diagnosed at an early stage, whatever that means and whatever that looks to them, Oftentimes, they also gain this new purpose as well, and they want to give back. And for those reasons alone, even in our support groups, we never break it out so that those in treatment have to be in a group of those in treatment and separate from those who are finished and post-treatment are together. I always unite them because the ones who have overcome it want to give hope to those who are just diagnosed or going through the trenches of being in chemo and experiencing all the side effects. So It's almost a natural process for those who want to end up being a mentor to others in the group and even outside of the group. Uh, They end up getting advocacy training or they end up being a mentor through other cancer organizations that build those programs more formally. Something like similar to Immerman Angels. I have had several of the survivors in my program become mentors through Immerman Angels. So That is why I think it is so key to always collaborate and network with other organizations so that the constituents that you're supporting know that these opportunities are available. But I can tell you that I have learned of all the mentorships that have just naturally been built through my organization that I personally don't experience and I don't witness during our groups, but I find out at a later time that these natural connections just happen. And then they end up connecting outside of the group, which is to me, when they connect outside of group, and I have nothing to do with that, that to me is one of the biggest rewards that I experience. Oh, Stephanie, I can so relate. We used to do a four-week teleseries and four, say four Tuesdays in a row for an hour and a half, uh, a group of about 10 people would Mm. be on the phone. And it was incredible to me by the end of the fourth week, the bond that we all shared, and especially for all of them. And and there was always that one person that was just a natural leader that would take the group. And I, I would find out months later that that group still did their calls. They still emailed. And I can totally relate. It was the most rewarding thing to me that we put them together and they became dear friends. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, it's such a gift. It really is. And I did want to say, I found Stephanie through Elephants and Tea. And if you don't know what Elephants and Tea is, it is an incredible group that really focuses, I believe, on the younger set, but just talk about networking and helping so many groups find each other. They kind of do for us what we do for patients. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. They help all the nonprofits find each other. And I, I just can't say enough about Nick. And when I read your article about finding your herd, I just knew that we needed to get you on this podcast to talk about it because it is 
such important messaging that you find you're heard. Stephanie, it's always great to have a personal story or two. Do you have anything you might want to add about just a special soul that you met along the way? We've already kind of been talking about that, but if there's even more of an individualized story, we are all ears. I have to share two stories because when you initially asked me to consider this, these two really stuck out on my mind. And I think this describes what it means to find your herd and build a community. Erin, for example, she started coming to our support groups in, believe it or not, 2013. She still attends to this day. Erin was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer just at the age of 24. And again, she was diagnosed back in 2007. So the world was similar in her life as it was to mine when I was diagnosed in 2005. Erin started joining our groups and has, like I said, continued to come back. And she met at the time, her boyfriend, about three years after being diagnosed. And what she would tell us in the group was that her boyfriend at the time never understood why she had what we call scanxiety, why she would be so emotional approaching her yearly cancer anniversaries. And it took until he started attending our social activities, hearing other stories from other survivors, just casually talking about their lives at the time and talking with other caregivers and who we call co-survivors in the group, talking with other men and really realizing that her feelings were very validating and that she wasn't out of line because he would say, you're no longer in treatment. You have survived cancer. Why are you still so emotional? He never understood. They, Peggy, to this day, say that we saved their marriage. They ended up getting married in October of 2019. They were engaged for probably eight years, if I'm not mistaken. If Erin hears this, she's going to laugh because I should know. (laughs) But they got married in October 2019. They planned their honeymoon so that they came back a day before my annual event. And she spoke at that night at our event about (sighs) everything I just told you. Furthermore, when I reflected on why we keep our support groups, including the survivors who are post-treatment and also those who are in active treatment. There is a girl in our group who has had breast cancer twice. The second time around, she was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. And she said, I quote, recently in one of our groups, she said to Erin, you make surviving worth surviving. Wow. Because Erin, to her, is her beacon of hope. Having survived triple negative breast cancer, living 12 years later, 12 years out from this, When Nikki, who has had a breast cancer recurrence and having the same type of cancer, now she is her mentor. She is her beacon of hope. And I had to write that quote down because I thought, oh, my gosh, if I didn't have this platform, this herd, this community, those two would have never met. Wow. And so that's the type of connections that we make. The other one that I'll quickly share is we have a girl whose name is Ashley. She is a three-time ovarian cancer survivor. It all began in August of 2019. Since her diagnosis, not only has she undergone a total hysterectomy, many other surgeries, chemo, radiation, you name it, she ended up coordinating a 5K in May of 2020, where she completed a 5K every day in May. She called me one day and she (laughs) said, I'm a teacher and I like to like think of fancy titles and make things rhyme. She said, so I'm going to coordinate a 5K every day in May where (laughs) she wore a sign on her chest 
of the name and diagnosis of one of our group members every single really? day. And she raised money for the organization. And she has connected with so many people in the organization because of doing things like that, where this is like almost her new purpose. She comes up with these great campaigns. She also wrote for Elephants and Tea, stating all of that on why she did it and how she was able to physically do it, but also more so the joy and rewards and empowerment that she felt doing this on behalf of other people. And so she has connected with multiple people in the group just by asking them if she could walk in honor of them. And she's also coordinated a surprise celebration where one of our group members who had a very intense chemotherapy um, regimen, after she rang the bell, after surviving a recurrence, this girl Ashley surprised her with a group. She rallied the group. They showed up on this girl's lawn and surprised her when she came home from ringing the bell with signs and bells and (laughs) balloons and cake. And like, it was just a whole surprise celebration. And these are the kind of things that happen, at least in my herd, that we'll celebrate forever. And these are the memories that you can't, you can't buy, you can't get anywhere else. And these are things that I had nothing to do with. These are between the group members. And so it has just been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, just mentioning these two stories, but each happened just in the last year. So I can only imagine what's to come in the upcoming years. Well, you have a very cool herd and a very kind herd, I will say, because these are very inspiring stories. This is why we do this, you know, because we all need that, that inspiration and that that love and that hope. And boy, Stephanie, you sure provided that today. And I just wish you all the best with your nonprofit and whatever the future holds. Do you see it going national or do you, do you like being in your region? What do you think? That's the million dollar question that I often <laughs> get asked. And I, I wish you could see the smile on my face because if you were to ask me that question two years ago, when I was just thinking about launching an organization, I would have said, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. I'm not capable. That's out of the question. Now, being a virtual health and wellness community, but also seeing the level of impact that it makes when you have in-person support, what I foresee over the next five years at a minimum, if not longer, <laughs> is having a hybrid model. I do see us going national because even in this past year, we now have cancer survivors joining our programs from 18 different states. So in a sense, we are considered national. But as far as the financial support, that remains local just because we don't have the means and the capacity to expand it. But I will tell you this, I will continue to listen to the needs and do anything I can to meet them. I think it's safe to say that in due time, we will either be a national organization or we will be partnering with national organization because The obvious is that the needs are so great and there's just so much more work to be done. So as long as that's the case, I will continue to do whatever it takes to make sure that we're reaching every young adult cancer survivor out there. Terrific. Well, what an inspiration. Thank you again. Is there anything else you want to add before we uh, end our session today? I just want to thank you, Peggy, for this wonderful opportunity. It is always such a blessing to talk with you and exchange stories and be able to raise more awareness out there. And I especially want to 
thank the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link for the opportunity to speak today. You are so welcome and thank you again. My pleasure. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. Feel free to share this episode via text, email, or social media. For more, follow Marrow Masters in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to connect with the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, visit nbmtlink.org or follow the link in our show notes.